This is Minister in the Making, Episode 9. I'm Brad Irwin. This podcast is for people seeking faith and a way to put that faith into practice. It is a podcast for leaders in the Christian church, from teenagers learning to lead in their youth groups, to elders, ministers, pastors, and volunteers doing the heavy lifting it takes to carry a congregation. It's also for average people in the pews who may wonder what life is like for the leaders of their churches. Each episode of this podcast is an interview with a Christian man who has done it all. My dad, Travis Irwin. Over his 50-plus years of Christian ministry in local churches, Dad has gone through just about everything a man can go through when he tries to follow Jesus Christ and minister to his church. As we go back over Dad's life and work, I hope you'll find hope, inspiration, and wisdom for your own journey. This is a special episode because my mom, Debbie Irwin, is joining my dad for this conversation. We're talking about the years 1975 to 1978, when dad and mom were serving their first church while starting their family. In the last episode, dad talked about what it was like to be a 24-year-old first-time head minister for a church hundreds of miles from where he grew up. This week, dad and mom will talk about what it was like to be married and become parents during this time in their lives. How did church work change their relationship? How did their relationship help or hinder church work? How did becoming parents change their lives, their marriage, their ministries? Who was a better baby, me or my sister Michelle? Just kidding about that last one. Let's listen to dad and mom talk about mixing marriage, ministry, and parenthood in the early 20s. Okay, so we have a special treat this time around. Uh, Today, not only do we have dad, but we also have mom. Uh, My mom, Debbie Irwin, is joining my dad, Travis Irwin, today. So our very first special guest on this uh, this podcast that is about dad. And I want mom to join us today because last week uh, we talked about dad's first job as we say uh his first ministry to the west side church of christ in akron ohio Uh, he was 24 when he took that position in january 1975 uh, and uh, moved from nashville nashville tennessee to snowy akron ohio Uh, you may recall that dad never wanted to be a pulpit minister or preacher as we say in the church of christ And yet here he was doing exactly that at this congregation in Akron, Ohio. So last week we talked a lot about what it was like for dad to, uh, to learn how to be a, a minister uh, on the job in, uh, in Akron. This week, I want to talk about family life and home life, how that affected dad as a minister and how being a minister to the church affected Uh, dad's relationship with mom and he's going to become he's going to become dad in this episode uh, because two children were born to to my parents Uh, i was one of them in december 1975 so less than a year after they moved to akron and then my sister michelle came along uh, about two and a half years later so mom welcome to the podcast thank you okay so I want to start with, uh, I actually want to start with you, mom, because uh, we didn't have a chance to, to ask you a question a few episodes back. And, and I'm curious, um, 
I'd asked dad a, a while back, why did mom, why was mom attracted to you? <laughs> and that doesn't sound, I don't, I don't mean that to sound as bad as it is, but we talked about your, 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 uh, your first date roller skating in, uh, 72, I think February 72. And dad was out of college at that point, working at the phone company and, uh, mom, you were a great skater and dad didn't know how to skate at all. And so dad described that date as him kind of hugging the wall and, uh, you kind of doing your, your thing with your friends. And so, you know, I was like, so how in the world did you score a second date, dad? I mean, how, you know, why did this, uh, why did this girl keep going out with you? And we talked about that a little bit. Well, one of the things he said, uh, was that you wanted to be a, a minister's wife. And I don't know when that came up, uh, in your relationship with dad, but I, tell me more, was that something that, that you wanted to be? And at what age did you decide you wanted to be a minister's wife? I don't know at what age I made that decision, if you want to call it a decision. I don't know what age, at what age I had initially had that desire. But we had a minister's wife when I was growing up named Christine Doris. She was uh, he was the minister there at West Nashville Heights almost the entire time that I was growing up there. And their oldest child was a, a girl named Judy, and she and I were the same age, and we were good friends. And I spent a lot of time at their house. And she was, uh, Christine was probably my first role model. I admired her very much. They had five kids. Their house was always busy, and yet she was always smiling. She was always organized. Um, she never looked like she was stressed. She was all, always dressed attractively, and I just admired a lot about her, and I wanted to be like her. Um, also, for me and my friends and my youth group, it was hard growing up in the legalistic Church of Christ. And I felt like if I was married to a preacher, it would be easier to be faithful. Hmm. Just to be honest. Wow. That's interesting. So, uh, your dad said he had never heard that until no, now. To know him. And I I've don't heard. know that I've ever really said it. Well, you know, I've heard a lot of things on this podcast that I didn't know before. And that's one of them. I, I want to ask you a question about something else that I'd never heard before. A couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> dad was talking about how, uh, how the two of you went and tried out in Akron, Ohio in December, uh, 1974. And the story that I always had in my head, uh, that dad corrected was I thought you went to Akron because it was that or, uh, or, or Texas and you didn't like Texas. And so you settled for Akron and, but you were only going to be there as long as you had to be. But dad corrected me. He said that when y'all, uh, were driving home from Akron, you were driving back to Nashville from that tryout. 
uh, I think he said that that you mom uh, said to him, you know, that's where we need to be or or I want to go there. This is where I want to be. And so uh, rather than settling for Akron, what dad explained to me was that y'all fell in love with uh, the church in Akron at, at first sight uh, when you went up to try out in December and that um, you wanted to be there. Uh, so I, I'm wondering if you have some perspective you could give us on that story of of uh, trying out in Akron and then making the choice to to take that take that position and, and move north. Well, we we definitely chose Akron. It was not um, it was not a situation where it was the lesser of two evils at all because. When we, when we went to Akron, I mean, I think your dad probably told you that, that Felman Watson came down to Nashville and met your dad and just convinced him to come up and try out. And so we went up there not really expecting that we were going to move there. We just went because Felman just really convinced your dad that he needed to come up. But when we got to the church on Sunday morning, the people were so warm and so loving and so eager for us to be there. They made us feel so welcome and so loved and so appreciated the first day, the first day. And, um, so when we when we came back home, when we were on the way back home, you know, we were like, man, this is so far away from home, but these people are so wonderful. You know, we could be very happy with them. Does that answer your question? It does. So I want to give dad a chance to uh, embellish a little on on something he he told me a week or two ago. Um, and first of all, I'll say that dad, I, uh, after you and I talked maybe last week and you talked about the pulpit at the West side church of Christ, and it had the giant Bible shaped <laughs> yeah. uh, thing on top. Uh, I, I went to the West side church of Christ website and uh, on their homepage, they have a picture of their auditorium. That's their, their homepage. And that, uh, that pulpit is still there. That's that's still yeah. the one that stands at the front of their auditorium. I did note that what I remember about that auditorium is it had kind of a metallic golden paisley wallpaper uh, on the walls at the front. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's gone now. So oh, Okay, that's good. They're just plain white, but I, I wondered if you remember. I remember that golden, that, that deep gold kind of shiny wallpaper that they had all up on the front of that auditorium and thought, surely that's not there anymore and it's not um, i'll make a correction about the bible the bible they did they did not want me to move that bible off the pulpit i wanted okay. to move it off the pulpit put my bible up there i got it and, and i moved it one time but i was corrected and never moved that bible again there so you go that's yeah. how you learn yeah so uh yeah, I wanted, Dad, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, embellish a little bit, if that's the right word, 
talk a little bit more about something you you described a week or two ago. So uh, your first two years of marriage, you got married in February 73. Uh, and so you were married for almost two years before you moved to to Akron. And and dad, you described those as, as really good times. Uh, right. You were going to school, you're both working, but uh, the two of you are really enjoying being together. You're enjoying your marriage. Uh, and then you went to Akron and on the way back to Nashville, one of you said, I sure hope they call and offer us that, that job. And they did. And so just like that, you, uh, you moved to Akron. Um, and then dad, you, you described, I already alluded to it. You described how, um, things started to change, uh, in your home life. You weren't going to school and working a couple jobs anymore. Mom, I reckon you knew you were pregnant with me by May of that year. That sound yeah. about right. So you'd only been there for February, March, not even four months before you found out that you were, you were expecting, uh, dad, it sounds like you dove in with both feet. How did, uh, how did moving to Akron and starting the work at Westside Church of Christ, uh, change your, your marriage? How did it change your, your family life? Well, I started working all the time. I probably worked a hundred, probably worked a hundred hours a week. I was over at the office during the day, maybe went out visiting in the afternoon or maybe the evening, but many times I'd, I'd be in the office studying, trying to get, trying to get two sermons together, two Bible classes together. And I'd never done that before. I didn't have a rep repertoire mm. of 500 sermons sitting in a file, a filing, a file cabinet somewhere. I mean, this is, I was, I was doing this from scratch mm. and, uh, brother Baxter taught us, uh, taught us, taught us preacher boys that Sunday rolls around really quickly. By the time you get done with one Sunday, the next Sunday's here. Yeah. You have two more sermons, two more lessons. And so that's what I was doing. And, um, I started, especially after you were born, um, you gotta remember your mom had never been away from home, never been away from her parents. And so in, in, we had friends there, but they were busy and so forth. But I was busy working. Your mother was home alone. And when you came along, that added some stress to her because I was never there to take, to, to do my share of taking care of you and spending time with you. And that caused some real friction. And, uh, you know, I learned, you know, <laughs> I learned the hard way, yeah, but yeah. We, we did work it out. I, I real quick, I don't want to gloss over this one point. So for the uninitiated in the church of Christ in the 1970s it is traditional to have Sunday school, Sunday morning worship. And then probably every church of Christ congregation in the country had Sunday night service right. where they'd come back at five or six o'clock at night. And then, uh, every church of Christ in the world probably had a, you know, Wednesday night Bible study. Yeah. And so, uh, for the uninitiated, when you say you were doing two sermons and two lessons, uh, he, what dad means audience is that he was preparing a sermon for Sunday morning, a second sermon for Sunday night, because that was the expectation is that he would have two sermons, uh, for each of those services on Sunday, a Sunday school lesson for Sunday morning which, uh, if you recall from last week, was on one side of the auditorium, 
and then a lesson for Wednesday night that was on the other side of the auditorium. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's, that's, you know, imagine that's uh, two 30 minute sermons and a couple of 45 minute classes for a 24 year old kid who never intended to do that with his, his life. Dad, I just want you to explain for people who've never had to prepare a sermon in their lives. How hard is it to prepare two sermons and two lessons uh, every week? There are a lot of, lot of factors. Uh, if you have experience, it takes a lot less time. But if you have no experience and you don't know the congregation real well, it takes a lot, a lot of, you have to come up with some kind of topic or scriptural text or something like that to preach on. Then you got to study that text or that topic and, and, and then we do a thorough study of that and then you got to come up with three points and a poem as we jokingly say and so you know for me it probably took 20 20 hours to work on one sermon and i had i had a notepad on my bedside table and i'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and write stuff down i mean my mind was constantly constantly on those lessons and coming up with ideas for lessons so for the seasoned preacher he's got sermons to fall back on, but he also has a repertoire of, of experience and knowledge. And uh, he also knows the congregation and he knows their needs. At that time, I just didn't, I didn't have any of that. And uh, I, I had a lot of help from people like Charles Pugh and Richard Youngblood and others. They gave me ideas for lessons and that helped a lot. And then as I was there, as, as I was there and I learned the needs of the church, I thought of other things I could preach on. So at first it was very difficult. After a while, it kind of, it got better. Mom, how did, uh, in those first few months that you were in Akron. So, I mean, dad, you had to hit the ground running your first week there. The expectation was you got two sermons and two lessons. That's right. Um, you know, next, next Sunday, Trav, you know, um, how did dad, how did dad change? I don't think he changed. And the reason I say that is because before he graduated from Lipscomb, like he said, he had three or four jobs Hmm. and I had a full-time job and we really, he, he worked hard. He worked hard then. So he was, he was still working just as hard as he had before. It was just different. It was different work. Mm -hmm. And I have to be honest, I actually saw him more in Akron than I did in Nashville. Is that right? Because he came home for lunch every day and I was there. I was not working outside the home then. I was at home. And so I saw him, I actually saw him more then than I did before he graduated from school. And that's uh, for people that, that are listening to this the church building, the West Side Church of Christ building, uh, is just a few paces from the, what we call the church house. So the driveway to the church house was actually the same driveway that you took to the parking lot for the church. So when mom says that dad came home for lunch every day, he could walk out of his office at the church building and just walk down the driveway uh, to the house. Uh, so you actually saw him more in Akron than yeah. you did in Nashville. 
I did. So you say you didn't really change. And one of the remarkable things to me is that every, I brought this up last week, dad described himself as he just wanted to have a good time. He was a follower. He was seeking the path of least resistance in life up until really he met you. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I, I remarked a week or two ago that this hardworking Travis Irwin seems unfamiliar compared to the Travis Irwin that he said all of the kids on campus would say, yeah, he's a follower. He's a, you know, he's a nice guy. He's, he just likes to have a good time. Um, so the, the question is, yeah, maybe dad was in the habit of working very hard during the last couple of years of school, you know, in the first couple of years of marriage, but was there a change and I, I'm not fishing here. I just, I want you to be honest, but dad, did you feel more pressure when you got to Akron than you did when you were in school and working those, those three jobs? And was that pressure, did that pressure uh, manifest itself in some way? Was there a change in your relationship to the work or you see what I mean, mom? So there's the, this is a question for both of you, mom, you know, he was working as hard you saw him more but what kind of change did you see in your attitude or your health or um was there more you know tension i just i'll stop talking because i don't want to paint a picture for you just tell me about that i really don't remember seeing a change in him and you know when i met him You know, I was 17 years old when I met him and he was in college and I thought he was very mature. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I, I really did. I okay. mean, he was, that's how I saw him. That's how I saw him from the very beginning was he was mature and he was hardworking and I thought he was serious. I mean, when I met him, he he already knew he wanted to be in the education ministry of the church. He already yeah. knew that. That was, that was from the very beginning of the time that I met him. And so he may have settled down already by the time I met him. And so, so the, from the time we started dating, he was working, he was working hard. Um, when we, when we first got married, he worked hard selling carpet. I mean, he has a work ethic that's out the roof. We, he and I joke about the Irwin work ethic because they're all workaholics. And so he, he worked hard selling carpet when we decided to move back to Nashville and he went back to school and he got all these different part-time jobs. Plus going to school, he worked hard. And then when we got to Akron, he was working hard. It was just it's something different. Mm -hmm. That's the way I've always known him. I just didn't see a change that way. The tension really didn't come until after you were born and about, you were about 18 months old. And I never, I didn't have any family nearby to ever get a break myself. Mm. And that's when the tension started. Mm. Mm. 
And there so, was a day, there was a day when I finally said, I need a break. And he said, okay, why don't you, I'll stay here with Brad for a little while and you go to the mall. And I said, no, you take him and go somewhere. I need to be at home by myself for a little while. And so <laughs> he took you to the mall and he took the credit card and he bought about $200 worth of toys. Is this a, a 1976 dollars or it was a lot of money? He took that credit card. He bought about two hundred dollars worth of toys. I can remember he bought this little desk for you. You were eighteen months old. You couldn't even sit in it yet. But he bought all these toys and he brought them all back home. And of course, the the family room in the Akron house had no furniture in it at that time. It was totally empty because we didn't have any furniture. And he put all those toys in that basement room. And he said, "Now this should keep him busy for a while." And he went back to work. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you feel? How did you feel about that, Mom? Well, I was very concerned about the two hundred dollars on the credit card. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, well, he doesn't get it, you know. But see, at that point, we only had one car, and he needed it to go make visits. So it wasn't like I could go over to somebody else's house who had another kid for mm. you to play with. I just, I was really kind of alone. Yeah. Dad, and were you, was, sorry. That was when the tension started. Yeah. So dad, were you just oblivious? I was uh, focused on getting those two sermons and those two lessons done. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I'd never had children before. I never raised children before. I didn't know what a, a mother went through. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the adjustment period to that. I didn't know what that involved. And I mean, you know, she said she needed a break. I thought, hey, you know, I could use a break too here, you know. Mm -hmm. But she she was talking about a different break. I mean, she was just pouring her life into you and later bet and Michelle rather. And so and it just drained her. And I I, you know, that didn't make any sense to me. I don't remember my mother saying that but of course you know uh i, I was <laughs> but i was a little and kid he, and he knew better than to say that <laughs> yeah exactly you don't cook and clean like my mom and you don't take care of the kids like mom that would that would have been a seven suicide yeah yeah then, uh so mom you talked about uh what was her jimmy doris's wife Christine. Christine, right. You talked about Christine Doris and you spent a lot of time in her house. And the description you just gave of her always being, you know, smiling and nicely dressed and uh, the, the, you know, the, everything in their lives seemed to be under control and in its proper place and everybody. Uh, how did becoming a minister's wife officially in January 75? And then over the next, it sounds like uh, the first few months or the first 18 months at least, or 24 months, first couple of years, um, you didn't seem to be too surprised by anything about the experience. Um, you said dad was working as hard as he ever had before. I'm just wondering, how, can you compare your expectations to what you actually found once you became a minister's wife 
um, in Akron? Well, well, the biggest surprise to me, and it was not a surprise to your dad because he had lived it his whole life. Yeah. The biggest surprise to me was the fishbowl. Oh. Um, and after, after your dad became a full-time minister, then I started seeing how people watched the minister's wife and or family, if they had a family, because they had expectations of how the minister's family was supposed to act and dress. And I had not ever experienced that. I, uh, your dad knew exactly what it was because he had lived it, but I did not, I did not expect that. I had, a, uh, I had somebody give me a book for minister's wives. And it talked about how you always needed to have an emergency meal in the cabinet in case somebody showed up at the door and needed, and you needed to feed them, or you mm. always had to have a little black dress. Every minister's wife had to have a little black dress. And um, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. And I'm enough of a stubborn person that I fought back about that a little bit. You how know, did you fight? How did you fight back against it? Well, I fought back in my mind. It was like, okay, now I am me. Um, yes, I may be the minister's wife, but I can stand on my own merit, and I don't, I don't, I will not be judged. Um, and I don't know if you remember when you kids were growing up, but your dad and I agreed we didn't ever want to tell you kids that you could not do something because your dad was the preacher. Mm. If you couldn't do something, it was because it was not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And we were never going to let the words, you can't do that because your dad's the preacher come out of our mouths. Yeah. And it never did. And it never did. Now you threw that at us one time, but, <laughs> I but did? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But this interview is about us. Yeah. You this is about Akron. This was later on. Did you, did the two of you, so when mom, you, you found out you were pregnant around May of 75, y'all had been, you'd been there just a few months. So I imagine that you, you had to start talking about how you were going to be parents. Um, this conversation you're bringing up here, you know, we, we decided that we were never going to tell our kids they couldn't do something because their dad was a preacher was that a conversation that you had um, when you were expecting your first child? What were, I don't remember when we had the conversation. It probably wasn't that early. Yeah. It was probably after you were born. Okay. Uh, because, you know, like you said, I uh, got pregnant with you not long after we moved there. I was still learning what was expected of a preacher's wife at that point. Mm -hmm. I was still learning about the fishbowl. Mm -hmm. And so I probably wouldn't have even had that thought at that yeah. point. It was Could, probably more when you, after you were born and you were starting to try your wings and misbehave. And yeah. uh, that's probably when we had that conversation. When is the first time that you felt like you were in the fishbowl? 
Well, one of one of my beliefs about um, being a minister's wife was that it was important to be hospitable and to have your members into your home for a meal. I think we had almost everybody who was a member of that church into our home at some point for a meal. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a lady there. <laughs> I know where you're going. Um, I'm not going to say her name. She's gone now, but she was a very critical person. She was, she was an old maid. She'd never married. She'd never had children and she was very critical and everybody was afraid of her pretty much. And I was afraid of her. And, and I had not had her over yet for a meal. And I knew I needed to. And so we invited her for dinner one Sunday. And she came over and she dearly loved the former preacher who was there and kept in touch with him and his wife and his kids because they were all perfect. And uh, that she received their church bulletin from where they had gone to every week. And she came and brought all of their bulletins and read them to us while she was at our house for lunch. She, one time I had had my hair cut and she told me that she um, was glad I had my stringy hair cut off. Those are her exact words. <laughs> and that was, that was, those were the kinds of eye-opening things that started making me understand about the fishbowl. Dad, did you notice any of this? Oh, my, yes. Well, especially about the woman. He was afraid of her, too. Oh, my. She had a a strong personality. And uh, And she did not hesitate to say what she thought. She just told told like it was. She did run people off from the church. She did. Uh, Visitors would come, and they wouldn't come back. And, you know, what can I say? Just to be blunt about it, um, that day when we had her over, we had some other people over that day, too. And that uh, I was glad to see her leave. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're supposed to do things out of love, and I think we did that out of love. But we were we were glad when she left. Did did the two of you ever talk about expectations for for mom specifically? I mean, you mentioned mom. You got this. Someone gave you this book about how to be a, a minister's wife or a preacher's wife, and you read it. And you resisted, you know, you resisted some of the expectations that were put on you. Uh, Dad, you grew up in a preacher's home. And um, you made a crack a moment ago. We all got a laugh out of it. You know, I never saw my mom, you know, struggling with such and such. Um, Did you ever have the two of you, you're young, you're in your twenties, you're, you're in West side, you're at West side church of Christ. This is all new to you. Did you ever talk about the expectations that, that were placed on either one of you or mom in particular as, as a preacher's wife? I don't think so. No. So mom, did you ever share with dad how you resisted certain expectations or the fishbowl probably. probably not Mm-mm. so what kind of things did you talk about most often during those years money probably we talked about yeah and we talked about the church and we talked about 
church work and classes and I, I mean I taught Bible classes and I did bulletin boards and I tried to have a lot of people over to eat we talked I mean our our practically our, our whole lives have revolved around the church and yeah. so that was probably the number one topic of conversation yeah. in our home it wasn't but, it wasn't gossip it's was just talking about things in general and and then number two was probably money. <laughs> yeah. I, I went through some very terrible homesickness, hmm. very terrible homesickness. And at that time, uh, of course, there were no cell phones. And if you wanted to make a long distance call, telephone call, it was really expensive. Hmm. And I, I desperately wanted to talk to my parents. And so we worked out a system with them that I would, that we would take turns calling each other on Saturday night at nine o'clock because that was when the long distance rates dropped way down. And so I would call them one week uh, at Saturday night, nine o'clock. I could talk 30 minutes and not one minute longer. Mm. That was all I was allowed. And then they would call me the next week and we'd talk 30 minutes. And so that's why I say we probably talked about money because yeah. that's just an example of having to watch the pennies, you know, because I was not working outside the home. Yeah. So we talked about that. We had some wonderful friends there. There were other young couples about our age that were all having their babies at the same time, the Pells and the Almers and the Pattons. And we got together with them a lot for fun. And we'd talk about that and, you know, just life. Um, I remember you kept that Saturday phone call tradition. You may have kept that until it was no longer long distance rates were no longer an issue because I remember as long as I lived at home Saturday uh, afternoon or Saturday night was the time that, yep. and you alternated calling each other. Mm -hmm. um, that that's just something I knew it was a rhythm of life that Saturday evening, Saturday night, you were going to be on the phone with, with grandmama and granddaddy. The, um, the money issue, you, know, you lived in the church house so you didn't have a mortgage payment. Um, I assume that dad was getting paid better than he had at his previous jobs. I don't know that for a fact, but you said something about a credit card a little while ago, pinching pennies. Uh, you talked about money a lot. This is, I think, an important question because a lot of couples get into trouble with money and that becomes a you know, that becomes an issue in a lot of marriages. Uh, and dad, you eventually, you know, really got into financial peace university. I mean, did you make any mistakes with money yes. in those early years? And what kind of mistakes were they? The first Christmas that we were married, which was our first Christmas in Akron. No, our, the first Christmas we were married, we were in Nashville. Your dad had gone back to school and we had no money. And we used a credit card and bought everybody's Christmas gifts. And at that time, we bought for everybody in both families. Mm -hmm. That's that's just how everybody did it. And we 
we it took us two years to pay that Christmas off. And we decided then that we were not using credit cards anymore. Until dad went to the mall until, and bought until he desperately two hundred dollars two hundred dollars worth of toys. Well, you know, there's a couple other things I bought on credit. One was uh the dinette set your mom has, that big that big uh -huh. china yeah. cabinet. And that was for our that was for our fifth anniversary, I think. But also I bought a really nice guitar mm -hmm. and put that on credit. So but we 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 got tired of being enslaved to credit, so we finally just paid everything off and moved on. That Except was while you were in Akron. I remember you really being anti-credit card much later in life, but did you did you pay that all off while you were in Akron? I would say probably so. Yeah. 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 I, I made fairly good money there. Of course, at first we didn't have any children, but that changed that when, when you came along, no offense to you or even Michelle or Beth, I wouldn't would trade you for all the money and things in the world. Uh, money got really tight, real tight, real quick. Well, and another thing that I think a lot of ministers deal with, because I've talked to a lot of ministers' wives about this, we, the church did not provide health insurance for us. Right, yeah. And we had to pay our own. And I've known so many ministers' wives over the years who work in order to get the health insurance yeah. for their family, which is what I ended up doing too. That's right, yeah. And so we were trying to buy health insurance. Yeah. Which is a big expense. Yeah. Uh, when you talked about church, uh, dad, your job, I mean, were those just conversations about, uh, people at church or situations at church or, or dad, did you actually bring your, your work home and talk about your work with mom? You yeah. understand the difference? There's, there's one yeah. way of looking at church, like, Hey, we belong to this church. Here are some people. Did you hear what happened to so-and-so or, did you actually, you know, ask mom for her opinions and, and bring situations to mom that uh, only a preacher would know about? And did you talk about those together? I'm sure I did. I can't tell you what specifically that was, but I mean, I still ask your mother's opinion today, but I'm sure, I, I'm sure I did it then as well, but it, it may have been about sermon topics or uh, might've been about, um, how I should dress, how I should do this, how I should do that. But I'm sure I asked her, even though I had some pretty strong opinions myself. But uh, I, I can't tell you what those are. You want to corroborate that, Mom? I feel like that all of your dad's ministries have been a joint ministry. Mm. Yeah, we're a team. And I, I feel like he's always talked with me about Oh, everything about his work. I mean, I you know, there's things that that he will know as a man, a minister that he can't share, and I've never pressed him mm -hmm. to share those with me. But I feel like he shares probably 95, 96, 97 percent of it with me. Yeah, I've never felt left out of it. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So uh, we were Tracy. My wife, for those of you who don't know, Tracy and I were talking a few weeks ago. It was right after we recorded the episode, excuse me, where um, dad proposed. And mom, you were a freshman at Freed Hardeman College. Dad proposed that October. And then y'all were married 
you know, you dropped out of school and, uh, and y'all got married and, and Tracy asked me something like, you know, did, did your mom ever wish that she hadn't dropped out of school that she, you know, waited to get married and then finished college. And, uh, and I said, well, I think mom did want to finish college. When I was a kid, I remember her talking about wanting to finish college. Um, but you said that you got to Akron dad jumped right into working with the church and you were at home and you didn't have a car. You didn't have a cell phone. There was no internet. And, uh, and so you were, you were there, you were at home, especially after I was born. Just a second ago, you said you never felt left out. Right. So here's my question. Did, did you ever wish that you were doing something else other other than staying at home? Did you ever feel like there was action happening out there and you wanted to be a part of it, but you were, you know, you were at home and that's where you were. You understand the question? I understand. The question. And it's not a leading question either. I'm not trying to lead no. you to a particular answer, but um, I'm curious. I always wanted to be a wife and a mother. That's always, that was what I wanted to be. And so I never, I'm, I've never minded being at home. That it's my favorite place to be. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't feel left out. Even, even the day that I told your dad I needed a break. I just needed a break. I wasn't saying I'm done. I don't ever want to do this again. I was just saying I need a break. And yeah. so I never, you know, I never felt left out. I I, I enjoyed being at home. Even, what would you go ahead, even, Dad? Even when it came time, there came a time when I had to go to your mother and I said, You've got to get a job. And I, I hated to do that. And she didn't want to hear that, but she had to go to work to provide health insurance yeah. and a little bit of income, but health insurance mainly. She had always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. That was her. That was her goal all her life. So when she started working outside of home, that was that was something she didn't didn't originally want to do. She was willing to do it to provide for us yeah. in that way. So yeah, I hope that help, helps answer the question too. Yeah, it does. And at least the next question mom were you already i asked dad a few weeks ago uh about when he was uh when he was a youth minister at the ashwood church of christ right ashwood church of christ in nashville and uh, y'all were dating at the time uh or you may have been married i think you were, we were married, married right? yeah you were married and dad talked about i asked dad what what did what was mom doing during all this like did mom have a role did mom have a role in your youth ministry and um and i asked him if you were already teaching bible class then i mean one thing everybody who knows you can can say is that uh debbie Irwin is is a real great church education director <laughs> i i was just talking to dad about it. it's ironic that you ended up doing something you said you'd never ever do and then mom really ended up being a church education director because that's 
that's what you've done at every every stop along the way so i asked dad then i said was mom already teaching sunday school and uh doing that kind of thing and he couldn't quite recall so now i want to ask uh what was your role did you have any roles that you took on for yourself at the church beyond just being the preacher's wife are you talking about at ashwood or i'm talking at about akron at akron yeah I taught Bible classes. Okay. I did the bulletin boards, taught VBS, had people into our home for a meal almost every Sunday. Mm -hmm. That was basically what I did. Yeah. And was that, was that smooth sailing for both of you? I mean, was there ever a time when, because both of you were public figures in that church, both of you were speaking mom, you were teaching class, you know, dad, you were preaching and teaching. Um, was there ever a time when, um, when that caused any, any tension or you needed to work through anything, um, in any way? And I, I, again, I'm not fishing for any conflict here, but I know that in a marriage where you have two people that are both speaking publicly or both have, uh, roles in a group of people sometimes uh, those roles can conflict or you both get too busy or one of you does something the other one doesn't quite like and you need to you need to to bring it up no no i can't think of anything like that we had some as far as i mean when i taught classes i taught children's classes there uh, we didn't have a ladies class there that I remember, but we had some wonderful older ladies there who, um, Jean Jones, Audrey Merrill, um, Nettie Jones, um, or Branscombe. I mean, there was some wonderful older, older ladies there. There was, there was just a real relationship between older ladies and younger ladies there they and they were good mentors they were sweet ladies they were godly ladies and and so i didn't teach ladies classes there because i didn't need to i just taught the children's classes and that wasn't that wasn't a problem and there was no conflict with what i did and what your dad did you know we each had our own roles were you question or not yeah were you proud of each other oh i i was proud of him yeah, i was proud of her too she was your mom's always been supportive and uh, supportive of the congregations where I, where we were and also supportive of my ministries always has been always has been and i couldn't i couldn't do what i do without her yeah mom you you were terribly homesick. How long did that last? Uh, 35 years, 40 years. Uh, let's see. We moved back to Tennessee. What? How many years ago? 16 years ago. Mm. I mean, it, it got a lot better, yeah. but, but the first, um, for the first year was tough because you'd never the, been away. I mean, I had been to college, but, but this was far away. This uh, it wasn't it wasn't like when I was at Freed and I could go home and visit on the weekend. It was far away. 
I could only talk with them once a week. Um, I mean, it was it was a real physical thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was hard. I cried and I was so ugly because we had been there about six months and we had planned it was in the summer and we were going home. Uh, the first time that we were able to go home since we moved up there and I was so excited and so looking forward to it. And so uh, I was having morning sickness so bad with mm. you, except it lasted all day, every mm, day. Man. And I felt terrible. And the day before we were supposed to leave, a member died mm. and we had to stay for uh -huh. your dad to do the funeral. Yep. And I was so ugly about it. It was terrible. I said, to you, I mean, I really, I really gave your dad a hard time. I said, can't yeah. you get some, can't somebody else do this funeral? Do we have to stay for you to do this funeral? And he said, well, yes, they're our member and I'm their minister and I have to do it. And I was, I was not nice. Yeah. I was really not, I was not supportive at that point. <laughs> Things happen. What can I say? We went, I mean, we went, we left after the funeral and went on down there, but mm -hmm. we didn't get to, we didn't get to extend the, the trip. We mm -hmm. had to come back. So the trip was shorter and yeah. I felt very cheated. Yeah. Who were you angry at mom? I was angry at your dad. <laughs> I was kind of stuck. I was stuck in the middle. So, you know, he was, it say, was not fair to him because he was, he was taking his responsibility so seriously and. It was a learning experience for me. Did you consider, I mean, dad, was it ever in that situation? Did, did you try to figure out a way to, or you were, you were going to do that funeral because that was, that was your job. That was my job. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that probably was my, I think that was my first funeral. Mm-hmm. And with the lack of experience, you know, uh, there, there have been many funerals I haven't gone to in the past uh, couple of three years mm -hmm. because I was out of town and I, I, I would call the family, but I also wasn't the preacher in the past two years. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in this case, I felt like, you know, I, the family had honored me by asking me to do the funeral. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd have to delay our trip a little bit, didn't realize it'd be a two or three day delay. Uh, and I thought that was my responsibility and I held fast to it and I just expected your mom to fully cooperate yeah. and I did not, I did not take her feelings into consideration. Um, I've, I've been homesick, but not, not, not anything like your mother was experiencing. So I could yeah. not live with that. So yeah. I was, I was totally insensitive there to that, but I felt like I was between a rock and a hard place. How and lonely I, did you feel? How long did, how, how, how lonely did you feel? uh when your mother was upset i felt really lonely but how much we, sleep we, did you lose <laughs> well I, I don't remember that far back it, it just i just felt like i couldn't win to i couldn't win either way if i said no to the family that put them in the lurch if i said no to your mom that put her in the lurch mm -hmm. and um you're like you like your mom said she she gave in. I don't think she had a whole lot of choice, but I think she learned from it. And she, she, she's dealt with, she knows how to deal with homesickness now. She didn't know how yeah. to handle, handle at age 20, 21. Would you say that's a, 
Would you say that's a no-win situation? No, there are no winners. No. That's that's one of the things that you can disagree with me, but that's one of the things that people in the pews just don't know. Yeah. You know, when you're a when you're a, a human being who fills the role of pastor or minister or preacher, and you have a family that can't wait to go on vacation, you have a spouse you know, who has needs and you have a congregation that has needs and some like someone dies, right. You know, it's a, it's a time of grief and loss and, you know, a family is looking to their, their pastor or their minister to, you know, to help them through it. You as a human being in that minister's role, the conflicting needs of your own family and your church family, um, that's something that the majority of people don't ever experience. No. And it's a, it's a situation where you want to, you want to do something for both and you're forced into making a choice. Um, and it's a, it's a no win situation the way I see it. Yeah. And I, I, I bring that up because uh, you know, one of the, purposes of having these conversations and letting people be a fly on the wall and listen in is just to understand that people that fill these roles are human beings and they have families and they have, you know, they have needs as well. They often set those aside for the church. Right. right. And this is what it's like. You know, this is what it's like inside a, a preacher's, uh, preacher's world, her heart and mind. You know, when these things happen, this is what happens in a marriage in a, in a preacher's family at times like these. Uh, I want to ask you about how having children changed things uh, for you personally and as a couple. I, the most profound change that ever happened in me uh, came when Daniel was born. Uh, there's life, there's the world before Daniel and there's the world after Daniel and um, just, there was no way to predict the ways that it would change my perspective on things. And so, you know, you had two kids, um, pretty quick after you, you moved there, like I said, mom, you were just 20 when you moved to Akron and, um, I mean, how did it, how did it change things for y'all when, uh, Michelle and I were, were born and you became parents? Well, I'll let your mom go first. It completed me. It was what I yeah. wanted. Yeah. Was there anything surprising about it? Um, not really, except that, I, I mean, it was a learning experience, you know, and I learned that, that even I needed some alone time sometime. I mean, I, I'd always had plenty of alone time before. And, and just like, I mean, that time when you were 18 months old and I told your dad I needed a break, that was the first time that I had ever really had that emotion or had that feeling that I need, I just need a break, you know, I'd never really experienced that before, but, but it was what I wanted. Having, having a family was what was my heart's desire. And it just completed me. When you say it completed you, did it, did it change 
the way you thought of yourself in any way? No, I don't think so. So you, when you say it completed you, that means that you'd always thought of yourself as a mother, like a mother in waiting. So, yeah, that had always been my heart's desire. Yeah. To be a preacher's wife and a mother. So marrying dad and moving to Akron and then having two kids was a fulfillment of who you felt like you were supposed to be. Yep. Okay. So dad, what about you? How did becoming a father change you, change your perspective on things? I'd always thought one day I'd find the right girl, marry her, and start a family. Uh, it, it, it changed me uh, so far as priority. Uh, I had to be coaxed a little bit by your mom. Is, is that at first I would tend to put work ahead of family time your mom says you had this child too so it's our child so you need to be be a part of the process um so i had to had to do some rethinking and and rescheduling and reprioritizing things but give us an example of something that you had to reschedule or reprioritize uh study you know i had to figure i had to figure some way to spend time at home during the evening I didn't, have to, I didn't have to be home every evening, but I had to be home some evenings and I had to figure out, well, you get, you got to give some stuff up here. You get it, you know, Saturday morning, you may have to get up early, go over and study and get up early Sunday morning, go over and study, but you got to spend some time at the house. You know, you got to spend some time with your son and with your daughter. I really think that came later though, when, it did. when the kids were old, when you guys were older. It did. Yeah. There, there's a there's a part of me and, and I, this 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 I just I just didn't know what the needs of a baby would be to, to me it's a baby the baby doesn't know whether you're here or not well the fact of the matter is the baby does know whether you're there or not and I learned that later in life but um, basically uh, I, I grew up in a home where my dad wasn't around very much and I didn't think the dad dead being there was very important and yeah after all these are babies babies uh, Debbie's got this. She's smart. She can handle this. I got other things to do that are more important. But I learned after a while that that wasn't that just wasn't the case. And I wish I could do it over again, but I can't. Yeah. And I, I think all three of you children turned out pretty well in spite of the kind of father I was, especially in your early life. Yeah. I. As time went along, I learned. Go ahead. Yeah, I got a. I I have a a vague memory of um, the first time that I realized that this guy is related to me somehow i like i i uh this is going to sound weird i may be imagining it but i'm pretty sure it's a it's a real memory but i you were washing the car out in the driveway you know how you love to wash the car dad right and i was out there i was old enough to walk i was walking around out there and uh and then you you let me sit in your lap to drive the car up to the parking lot and then circle around and drive back. This is when yeah. you had the, uh, the Nova, the, yeah. the Brown Chevy Nova. Yeah. You let me sit in your lap and you drove the car up around the parking lot and you came back. I don't know if you did it more than once, but I was sitting in your lap while you were driving. And that's probably my first memory of you. And, and I, I, wow. 
I may be filling in the thoughts here, but it was kind of like, I think this guy lives here, you know, like, or I think this guy actually, I think I'm, I think this guy is actually related to me somehow. Um, oh my that, word. <laughs> it's like, you know, right. Like this guy, he's not around as much as, is his mom, but I think I'm related to this guy. I think he's, I think he's around, um, you know, more often than other guys in my life. So yeah, there, there was that memory. And I do remember, you know, I've, I've told you, I, I do have memories of you taking me to the mall yeah. and I didn't think about him until I had Daniel and I'd take him to the mall and just push him around in the stroller, <laughs> you know, for a couple of hours just to, you know, give Tracy a break and get the, you know, get him to pay attention to something else. And, and, uh, I'm like, when I started thinking about that. I'm like, why, why was that at the mall with dad? Why did dad take me to the mall? And then, and being a dad myself, it all started to make sense. I was like, huh, mom needed some time or mom had something else to do. And so she's like here and, and, you know, and, and this is where, this is where I ended up. I was at, you know, dad took me to the mall and, uh, so well, you know, my... Summit Mall was just a mile down the road from us. And yeah, yep. it was, it was so convenient to go down there. It was so close. When you become a parent, you also appreciate your parents more too. That, 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 that really changed my attitude towards my parents when you were born and then when your sisters were born. But anyway, yeah, that's another story. You're so much younger than me i became a parent when i was 37 right yeah 37 36 37 y'all dad you became a parent when you were 25 so from the time that daniel was born in my late 30s i had a real for the first time in my life i felt mortal <laughs> It was not a good feeling. Um, you know, I'd always felt young and I'd always felt like I had this whole life ahead of me and I always felt kind of immune from things until I was responsible for, for Daniel. Wow. And then I felt older and I felt mortal and I felt uh, a keener sense of risk, right? And the stakes. Yeah. yeah. And life seemed a lot higher than they were before. It's a much more, it's a much less comfortable world that I live in since Daniel was born than before. And it's changed the way that I make decisions and uh, the way I live my life and, and what I prioritize too. I just wonder if, you know, being in your early twenties, when you became parents, did you mature rapidly once you had kids? Did you did that change your perspective on yourselves and your own lives and your own, you know, sense of, of timing? I'm not saying that it had to, but I'm, I'm curious. I don't, you I, don't were, think it, I don't, I don't think I did. I, I just enjoyed having, having you around, having your sister around. Yeah. Um, life get, get, life got a lot busier. The money mm -hmm. got tighter. Mm-hmm. The energy was the energy and stress was the stress on the energy and time was, went higher. So we, we really enjoyed those, those years. That was, we didn't think it was really that hard. Yeah. Uh, I, became, I, 
I felt more mortal when I reached my thirties and forties. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I knew this raising kids thing was a very serious thing. And I only had one try. I only had one crack at it, but I don't remember a lot of what you're talking about happening to us. Yeah. What did you say? There's a big age difference though. So I, I wondered yeah. if the age difference yeah. would make a difference. Make could make a difference. I, I, I just felt, and I still feel that my number one responsibility at that point was you kids mm-hmm. bringing you up in the Lord. Uh, that was, that was my number one priority and it didn't make me feel any older. Uh, I still don't feel older. I still feel like I've got my life ahead of me, mm. you know? So last two questions. Uh, First thing I want to ask about the church there. It seems like the West Side Church of Christ did a really good job with the two of you. Yeah, ideal place. You're very young. So here's this brand new minister, doesn't know anything. He's learning on the job. Here's this young couple, early 20s. They're having, you know, they're far from home, they're having children what did that church do really well that you wish other churches would imitate with their, with their young couples, their young families? They loved us. I mean, they just welcomed us. We just, we were just a part of the family. Um, I, I really believe that they may have wanted your dad because they had these young couples there mm. and they wanted a young minister because mm-hmm. they had these young couples there. Mm-hmm. But, but everybody, the older people, the middle-aged people, the younger couples, everybody there was close and they just did that right. It mm-hmm. just, it, they just did it right. I don't know how else to explain it. We, we got together a lot. We had a lot of church dinners we were together a lot there we got together in each other's homes a lot um sunday nights after church people would invite you to your their home um there was just a lot of time together just a lot of loving time together the church was what it was supposed to be a support group a loving group it was that we uh criticism there was no pessimism, no neg- negativity. Uh, I don't remember criticism except for the illustration your mom gave, you know, a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. It just it's just uh, it was an idyllic place to start mm-hmm. ministry. If I had started in the second place where I went, I probably wouldn't be in preaching anymore. Yeah, we, we have both said that God put us there. Yeah, because He knew yeah. that was where we needed to start. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were there any particular people? I, I believe that organizations uh take on the personalities of their leaders so it's really important to have the right leaders because their personality will eventually uh infuse the entire organization and the way that that it operates so who would you say was most responsible for imprinting on the culture there at west side church of christ Well, I think Bill and Jean Jones. Bill and Jean Jones. Uh, I think Feldman and Dorothy yeah. Watson. I think Ralph and Audrey Merrill. 
Um, but we had some older ladies, uh, Aura Branscombe, uh, Nettie Jones. Jones, Faye Summers, Myrtle Florence Edgar. Bowles, Myrtle Edgar. Uh, they were all leaders in their own way. Mm -hmm. And um, they were all delightful people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, um, there was, I would say, honestly, that there was no division between age groups. If, you know, if, if somebody was having something, everybody was invited. All the older widow ladies, all the, all the young people with children, and everybody in between. Is that is that unusual these days? Yeah. Do you think? I mean, I I wonder if um, churches are as multi generational in their practice. The word that keeps coming to mind as you talk is hospitality. It mm -hmm. sounds like the West Side Church of Christ had leaders who were masters at hospitality, mm -hmm. and um, now that I'm in my mid to late 40s, I feel a little intimidated by younger people because I think, well, what do they don't want to hang out with me? I'm, you know, I'm in my 40s. I'm not interesting or cool to them. It sounds like the older people at that church had no problem uh, taking younger people under their wing, inviting them. No. I mean, is that a is that an exception or you think that's the rule in most churches these days? It's hard to say. I think every congregation is different. Yeah, but Westside definitely was a congregation where the older people were accepting the 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 older people that we met there were unusual because the, we could say for a lot of different reasons, but a lot of them were young at heart. They dressed nice, they ate out, they they traveled, they did they did things that normally that are reserved for younger people. I came I don't know what your tradition what tradition your mom came from, but I came from a tradition where older people looked like older people and they acted like older people and they weren't always real nice and gracious and that may just be my personal experience and hopefully that's all it is but when we went to Akron we we met uh the older people wanted us to call them by first name they would dress up like I said they would look really nice and that's where women wore pants to church, which we thought was terrible. That was the first time we'd yeah. ever seen women wear slacks but, to church. But we learned why they did. They did it because they froze to death in the wintertime in, in Akron, Ohio, if they if they didn't wear those. So so I mean they, they were just they were just young thinking and out and they were thinking outwardly, they they were open-minded to new things, new people, and that made the difference is sometimes different different congregations are different. And you may go to a congregation where you have a a hundred older people and half of them are open-minded and half of them are closed-minded so but uh in Nacra that was that was just a special place and that was a, that was a great place to start a family a great place to go it was the first work and we got a lot of encouragement and the day I resigned your mom was not happy no. and I regret it but it's been done and mm -hmm. we, we've grown as a, we, we've, we're still growing yeah. as a result of it so the last question is uh if if any uh, couples in their early to mid twenties who are going into church work ever listen to this uh, conversation, what advice do you have for them? Uh, young couple, uh, you talking about when they try out or when they just go ahead and start a new work somewhere? When they're when they're starting out in a in a church uh, in a work 
as we say somewhere. They're young, they're, they're newly, you know, early years of marriage, starting a family and starting uh, their work in the church. And what, what lessons do you have for them? Well, they need to bathe everything in prayer for sure before they start, start, start the journey and the adventure. But they need to approach each congregation with an open mind. And they need to also decide what they want, not only in the way of pay, vacation and perks and things like that, those things are important, but what's really more important is, you know, what is what is the attitude of the membership of the congregation towards you, yes, but also towards the community and towards one another. Your mother and I have been in congregations. We walked in the door. We could sense love. We've been in congregations. We walked in the door and we sensed hostility and mm. divisiveness. Mm. And you, in, is, is, if a young couple is getting ready to get into ministry, they need to just look and listen and, you know, ask questions, but look and listen and be around people and, and they'll, they'll know, they'll know. Um, but many times you'll, you'll have to take what, whatever you can get and not, not every congregation is like the idyllic situation of, of Akron in 1975. Mm. But I think things are better today than they were in many ways. Things are better today than they were 45 or 50 years ago. Um, my generation, hopefully, I think in some cases is, is doing a little bit better, a little bit better job, even though Feldman and Bill were doing a great job. They were very open-minded and very kind and very tender and very sweet. So I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that's the best I can come up with. Anything you want to add to that? Um, I had an older lady give me some advice several years ago. She, um, when she, her husband was still alive and he was working, they had to move a lot. And her, this is advice her mother gave her. She said, when you move into a congregation, you get to know the people and you find the most spiritual person there and you let that be your best friend. Mm. So I would give that advice, but I would also say, be friends with people of all ages. Yeah. Don't yeah. limit yourself yeah. just to your age group. Right. Um, we learned so much and felt so loved by so many of those older people in Akron. We were so young, but they were, I mean, we had a lady there that was 90 and we loved being with her. She was so much fun. So be with, be friends with people of all ages. I know your dad and I now at our ages, we we really long for the friendship of younger people, you know, yeah, we because we we can still learn from younger people too. Yep. So yep. that would be my advice. Good advice. Mom, thanks for dropping in today. Thank on you. uh dad, hope you don't mind sharing your no. podcast with, with mom. I thought it'd be a no. Uh, nice to get her perspective on those first few years a better half anyway, so. of, of yeah. ministry. And uh, mom, we will definitely hear from you again, somewhere down the, somewhere down the line. Okay. Okay. We'll pick up next week on, uh, uh, we'll, we'll start talking about the transition from Akron to cat Ohio. You ready, dad? <coughs> How long are you going to talk about cat 
how long are you going to talk about cat is hey give me five minutes i ain't done son all right that'll well, move on. To, this is an hour 20 minute podcast this week next week maybe five minutes to make up for that so we'll we'll, we'll know, say next week is transition to cat is week well cat cat is to me was a transition from yeah. a idyllic situation to another idyllic situation and it was a buffer and it was a time of real growth for me and, and I can tell you that, you know, the Lord was telling me, okay, fella, you had a perfect me actor and you messed it up and here you go. And, you know, every preacher has at least one caddis. Yep. And Papa had Winona and I had caddis and I learned from it and moved on. And there's some really good lessons that preachers need to learn. I can, I can share with that, but I don't want to spend an hour and 20 minutes on caddis. Well, we just might. If there are lessons to be learned, that's the point. So don't go to caddis to begin with. There you go. Well, you know, there's don't. Well, I, I mean, yeah. next week. Okay. Next yeah. week. Cat yeah, is on. week. Move on. Thank you for listening to Minister in the Making, Episode 9. And thank you to our special guest, my mom. Next week, Dad will tell us about one of the worst mistakes of his life. Now, if you've listened to the last three episodes, you know how much Dad and Mom loved being at the Westside Church of Christ in Akron, Ohio. And you know how much the Westside Church of Christ loved Dad and Mom back. So, how did it all end? In a fit of anger and a rash decision that would haunt Dad for the rest of his life. There are lessons to be learned next time. Meanwhile, do you have questions you'd like to ask Dad? You can email those to me at bt at btirwin.com. That's B as in Bradley, T as in Travis at B-T-I-R-W-I-N.com. I'll set aside time in every episode for your questions. Thank you again for listening to Minister in the Making. Grace and peace.